want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, verse 5. Luke 21, verse 5. Luke 21, 5. Most of us here this morning as we survey the news accounts, are wondering what's in store for America over the next coming months or years. Many of us don't have a really good feeling about that. We we seem to be in a moral tailspin. Just reading in the paper, the Los Angeles Times, that all the California teachers are kind of wondering how they're going to teach this uh, alternative lifestyle beginning in, uh, in kindergarten. What is going on in our country? The political parties seem to be at odds with themselves, so much so that they can't get anything done. And every time we open the newspaper or turn on the TV to look at the news, it seems like some weird thing is happening. And it would seem, perhaps, that we are heading for difficult times, very hard times. The reason I bring this up is, Jesus in our passage, beginning in verse 5, tells the disciples that their beloved temple is going to be destroyed, and things are not going to go good. And he... uh, Of course, after saying that in verse 6, not one stone will be left upon another as they look at the temple, they begin to question them. What's going to happen? How is this all going to work out? And the balance of our chapter is his answer to what he said in verse 6 and their questions which they asked. And it really breaks down into two major sections. One is their immediate future and then he talks later on in the chapter about his second coming. And what we're going to do this morning, we're just going to look at what he, Jesus tells about what their immediate future represents, the hard times that are coming to them and their generation. And then he also gives them some um, helpful information. And what he says to them is applicable to us as we face perhaps some difficult times. And then next week we'll look at his advice concerning his second coming. Before we do that, however, we need to understand the context of Jesus' words. So we're going to kind of set the context and then we'll look at two specific things that Jesus tells his disciples as they face difficult times that also apply to us. Okay, I'll kind of break up the chapter. Let's read verses, verses 5 through 11, verses 5 through 11 where we kind of get an idea of the context of Jesus' words. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, Jesus says, As for these things which you're looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another. It will be torn down. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, When therefore will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? 
And he said to them, see to it that you're not misled. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars, disturbances, do not be terrified for these things must take place. But first, the end does not follow immediately. He continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. First, let's consider the context of Jesus' words. The background is found in verses 5 through 7. That's the first part. The setting is they're in Jerusalem. It's his, just a few days before his death and resurrection. They're looking at the temple and the disciples are just blessed. Wow, what a place. This is really neat. And then in verse 6, Jesus says, as I said, uh, the place is going to be torn down. So much so, verse 6, there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. Well, of course, the disciples begin to ask in verse 7, when will these things happen? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Now, Matthew gives us two other questions. Gives, helps us fill out the meaning of the passage. They also ask, what is the sign of your coming and what is the sign of the end of the age? So there's all these questions. What do you mean? How does this work out? So that's the background of what Jesus is about to say. Then in verses 8 through 11, we have some preliminary thoughts concerning the second coming. Preliminary thoughts concerning the second coming. Now, before I talk about this, you have to understand that prophecy, prophecy really never comes together fully until it takes place. Oftentimes, there's prophecies and it's kind of floating around. You kind of get a general idea, but you really don't know how it's all going to fit together until it actually happens. We see that in the first coming. There's all these prophecies, Psalm 22 and Isaiah and Jeremiah, but it all didn't either. How do we do it? And all, all of a sudden, ah, yes, now we understand the first coming of Jesus. Well, it's, it's true for the second coming. The reason I say that is there are some perhaps here today will kind of disagree with my particular parsing of this particular chapter. And God bless you. <laughs> That's okay. We, we all haven't got it completely fit in a neat little box. But bear with your pastor and uh, we'll all be kinder and gentler to one another. Even perhaps if you don't, it doesn't fit together with your particular end time scenario. Say that. Okay. Verses 8 through 11, I believe, is Jesus is giving some preliminary thoughts concerning the second coming, but he doesn't go into detail until he gets to chapter, chapter 21, verse 25. Why do I believe that? A couple of reasons. First, the verses in 8 through 11 really don't fit in with what proceeded after Jesus died and going up to the destruction of Jerusalem. They don't, it just, it's, it's somewhat, there's some there, but it doesn't fit exactly to what the disciples experience after the, death of res, after the death and resurrection of Jesus leading up to the destruction of the temple, 
which is described in verses 20 through 24, which happened in 70 AD. So in verses 8 through 11, he's giving some preliminary thoughts. Now, why do I say that? Look at verse 12. It says, but before all these things. He said, wait a minute, before all these things happen, something else is going to happen. And then he goes on and begins to detail what's going to take place in their lives. There's a change of subject in verse 12. He says, before all these things happen, let me tell you what's going to happen first. Then what you describe, what we read in verses 12 through 24, really describe what they experienced almost immediately after Jesus' death and resurrection leading up to the destruction of the temple, which happened approximately 37 years after the death of Jesus Christ. However, when he finishes speaking in verse 24, then he goes back to the subject of his second coming in verse 25. So verses 8 through 11 are kind of some preliminary thoughts. He pauses, talks about what's going to happen to them right then. Then he goes back in chapter, in the same chapter in verse 25 to talk about the second coming, which we'll get into next week. Okay, everybody all right? All right. So, there's the context of Jesus' words. Now, in verses 12 through 19, he talks about the first piece of advice, description of what's going to happen. Let's read the verses. And we'll read verses 12 through 19. But before all these things, before these things happen, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated because of my name. Yet not one hair of your head will perish, but by your endurance you will gain your lives. First thing that Jesus tells them about their troubled times coming is the disciples are to see these upcoming times, these disciples are to see these upcoming times as an opportunity for their testimony. As an opportunity for their testimony. They are to see these experiences that are leading up to the destruction of the temple as an opportunity for them to give a testimony. Notice the three thoughts that are found in verses 12 through 19. First of all, difficult times will bring severe persecution. Difficult times will bring severe persecution. Verses 12 and then verses 16 and 17. Shortly after the death of Jesus Christ, opposition began to the gospel. It started with who? The Jewish leaders. The people who didn't accept their preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. They'd immediately, almost within a few days of Jesus' death and resurrection, they began to persecute the disciples of Jesus. Oftentimes, the gospel would separate Jew from another Jew in the family. Some would believe, others wouldn't. They were, even as it says in verse 17, hated because of my name. They were looked against. However, the persecution just didn't stop with the Jewish leaders. Where did it go? Then it went to the Romans. 
And we begin to see that really taking place later on in Paul's life, where the Roman government began to persecute the Christians and those who claimed that Jesus Christ was the Savior. Now, by the time what is described in verses 20 through 24, which is the destruction of the Jewish temple in 70 AD, Paul was dead, Peter was dead, James was dead, and the persecution under Emperor Nero began in 63 AD and got very, very heavy. And everything that's written in verses 12 through 19 began to take place in their lives. So the first thing that Jesus says as we come upon difficult times, severe persecution. Difficult times bring severe persecution. Now, here in this country, we're blessed, amen? We have religious freedom uh, in the Constitution, right? And we, uh, I don't think we can always assume that this will continue. Now, just look what, what's happening even now. Uh, with this whole hate speech thing. And there seems to be a general flavor in most of the media, not all, most of the media has an anti-Christian bias. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? And we're beginning to see where they don't want us to mention anything about Jesus in any of the public sectors, not having anything to do with schools or anything that has to do with the community. And you can see even with the radicals now beginning to demonstrate on Wall Street and, and, and all that stuff, that without too much trouble, if economic times really get more difficult, you can see them beginning to look and turning actively against the Christians in this country. You're saying it'll never happen. Never happen. Possibly not. Someone sent me an email this week. It's a quote from Alexander Tyler. He was a Scottish history professor. He wrote this in 1887. But it, look, it sounds like it's just perfect for today. Let me read it. A democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up to the time that voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury. Does that sound vaguely familiar? with the result that every democracy will finally collapse over loose fiscal policies, which is always followed by a dictatorship. He goes on, and he kind of categorized how, you, how a nation moves. It starts from bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, 
from apathy to dependence and from dependence back into bondage. Now I look at our country, we're somewhere between abundance and complacency and complacency to apathy. Now you're saying, Neil, you're not being very encouraging this morning. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is don't think that difficult times will not bring persecution upon the Christian. It could happen quicker than you realize. Okay. Difficult times bring persecution. That's what Jesus says. Could happen here. Now, however, difficult times will provide an opportunity for a supernatural witness. Look at verses 13 through 15. Now, specifically, look at verse 13. It, Jesus says, will lead an opportunity for your testimony. What is it? Well, it's what it is directly preceded that, which was persecution. Persecution, it, will lead to a testimony. Now, when I start talking about, like I have been talking, persecution is coming, what do we say? Oh, no, that's terrible. You know what Jesus says? Hey, that's good. Because <laughs> it'll give time for a supernatural testimony. Look at verses 14 through 15. Here's where it's supernatural. Here's where it's supernatural. When, he says, when you come before these kings and governors and judges for my name's sake, I will give you the words so much so that they will not be able to resist or refute what you say. Isn't that what he says right there in verses 15, 14 and 15? Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you the word so you will shut them up with your testimony. And it'll be supernatural because it'll be me speaking through you. Isn't that exactly what we saw in the book of Acts? When Peter and the disciples appeared before the Sanhedrin, what happened? They presented the gospel in such a powerful way. These learned scholars... The only thing they could say was what? Stop it. That was it. (laughs) That's all they had to say. Stop it. They could not respond to them. Of course, they didn't pay any attention to them. They, even as it says in verse 15, they were not able to resist or refute them. Now, I want you to be careful not to see verses 14 and 15 as an excuse to avoid study and prayer. That's not what Jesus is saying. Well, just don't read your Bible. You know, it all, you know, I'll just speak through you. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. Because spontaneity does not necessarily mean the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What I believe Jesus is saying there is don't go just before you get before all the judges. Go willy-nilly. Try to, oh, I'll do this and I'll do that. And he said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about that. But when you come before the judges and the governors to give a testimony, he's saying, let your well be filled. Be in the Bible. Put some scripture memory in your heart. Be in a place where you're prayed up. Be in a place where I'm with you. And then 
the Holy Spirit can take that well that you've filled and pour out the wisdom of God that they won't be able to resist or refute. Difficult times provide an opportunity for a supernatural witness where we'll be speaking in such a way that they will not be able to refute or resist us. That's what Jesus says. Now, I think some of the apathy, the spiritual apathy that exists in this country has come as a result of good times for too long. Now, here in the United States, we've been blessed. The church has grown and we have become the sending nation for missionaries for many, many years. We've been blessed. But the good times have caused some apathy. And sometimes what has to happen is somebody has to shake our tree. (laughs) And that's what Jesus is saying. Somebody's going to shake your tree. And then we'll speak with the power and authority of the Lord. Now, we see that perfectly illustrated in China. Most of you know what happened in 1949. The communist government kicked out all the foreign missionaries out of China. And they began to actively persecute the Bible-believing churches in China. And they continue to do that to a large extent, even today. And what happened in China? (laughs) The church exploded. Why? Because persecution and difficult times caused the Christians to give a supernatural witness. And without exaggeration, millions came to Christ. Difficult times provide an opportunity for supernatural witness. Third thing Jesus says, difficult times will call for endurance. Endurance. Verses 18 and 19. Now these two verses present a slight problem. You say, what's the problem, Neil? Well, look at verse 16. It says, they the enemies of the gospel, will put some of you to death. Do you see that? Verse 16. And then you look at verse 18. Oh, wait a minute. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. Huh. How does that work? How does that all work out? Is there a contradiction here? Jesus not understand? Well, let me give you my thinking on it. Matthew chapter 10, turn there with me for just a moment. Kind of, it'll kind of help understand. I think, perhaps, this is what Jesus is saying. Perhaps, because it's a difficult passage. He says, none of, some of you are going to die, but none of your hair will perish. Uh, what does that mean? Well, look at this. Verse 29, Matthew 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet not one of you, one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, God is watching over the sparrows, okay? Not one of them is going to fall here without God kind of being kind of in charge. Then he goes on, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Some of us have more numbers than the other. (laughs) I had to bring that up. So do, do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So what does he say? Okay, I'm watching over the sparrows, but guess what? You guys are more valuable. Don't worry. Don't worry. 
I got my hand on you. Okay, let's turn back to Luke 21. And in the same context, I think perhaps what Jesus is saying, okay, some of you are going to be put to death, but don't worry, it won't be an accident. It won't be an accident. It'll just take place. My hand is on you. I think that's maybe what Jesus is saying. Perhaps. But, the point here is the disciples are not to fade in the face of opposition and persecution. Isn't that what he's saying? But your endurance, but by your endurance, you will gain your lives. I love this. The previous verse he says, listen, don't worry. Sparrows are, I keep the sparrows, I know what's happening with the sparrows. I'm going to keep my hand, and you're worth more than the sparrow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you guys. I'm going to protect you. Some of you are going to die, but, but, you still have a responsibility. See, you have the sovereignty of God taking care of the bigger picture, but each one of us is what? We are to endure in the face of persecution, not wimp out, not give up, not say, oh, well, it's over. Now, this whole thing about the uh, teaching of homosexuality and lesbian, lesbianism starting in January, Starts January, first week in January, public schools. Oh, that's it. I can't believe it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, stop it. God is in charge. We need to persevere. Now, for some of us, that might mean you might want to pull your kids out of public school. It also might mean that you need to sit your kids down before they go to school in January and, you know, speak the truth. But guys, listen, listen. In the first century, homosexuality in the Roman culture was rampant and fully accepted as part of life, guys. So don't be saying, oh, I can't believe that God is allowing this. We're joining hands with the first century church right here. We're, we're, right, we're becoming a first century church. This, what we're going to experience over the next couple of years is just what our brothers and Paul, Peter, John, and James, what they experience. Don't give up. Don't give up. If they can do it, you can do it. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? But they're going to be difficult times. Okay. So the first thing that Jesus says is difficult times is an opportunity for the testimony. The second thing is found in verses 20 through 24. Let me read it. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written would be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people." They will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled under foot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentile nations are fulfilled. Second thing he says to us and to his disciples, the disciples are to see these upcoming times as an opportunity to heed the words of Jesus. Two thoughts here. First of all, he describes the difficult times for the disciples. 
verses 20 through 24. He tells them of terrible times that are coming and he gives them specific instructions on what to do when this has happened. Did you see that? He tells them what's going to happen and then he tells them what to do when this begins to happen. He gives them instructions. He says, pay attention to what I said. Now the horrible truth about what is found here in verses 20 through 24 is carefully detailed by the Jewish historian Josephus. You can't go completely along with what Josephus, but he's, he's generally uh, thought of as being fairly accurate on some of what he said. He said that what happened in April of 70 AD, which was Passover week, Passover week, Jerusalem was filled with over a million people for Passover. The Roman army surrounded Jerusalem and he says the slaughter was unbelievable. Men, women, and children were slaughtered. A small amount who were considered worthy to be slaves were led away captive, even as it says, given into the Gentiles. The city was burned and destroyed and leveled, and they began to build a totally pagan city with a different name, and the Jews were forbidden for years to come, not even to come anywhere near the city of Jerusalem. What Jesus says here in verses 20 through 24 exactly took place. And he gives, he tells his Christians, when you see that, this is what I want you to do. Get out. Because this terrible thing is coming upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, second point I want to bring in this is difficult times were predicted by the Lord. Even before this, look with me in chapter 19, just one, two chapters back. Verse 41, we looked at this. This was earlier in the week. When he approached Jerusalem, verse 41, chapter 19, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which are made for peace, but now they've been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, talking just about what he's describing in our chapter, and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you with the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave upon you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. What is he saying to the Jewish people? You didn't pay attention to what the word of God says. You didn't see it. You weren't studying the Bible. You didn't see that I was the Messiah. And because you did not listen to the Hebrew scriptures, this terrible day is now going to come upon you. Is that not what he's saying? That's exactly what he's saying. We need to pay attention to what the Bible says. Now, oftentimes, as Christians talk about moving towards these difficult times, they talk about doing what? Hunkering down. Get the weapons. Load up with ammunition. 
uh, pull back away from all populated center and build a defensible inhabitant so you can fight off the hordes that are going to come and steal your food. Talk about a lot about investing our time and our energy and our money in defending ourselves and our families. Is that what you see in the Bible? No. Jesus doesn't say anything about hunkering down with weapons. What does he say? He tells us to use our time and our energy and our money for what? Reaching the people for Jesus. Trying to save as many as we possibly can. Now, just to give you a word of encouragement further on. How many of us see the United States of America in the end time scenario? So read Daniel and Revelation. Do you see? Many people feel that the United States makes no place, has no place in the events that take place in Israel. We're out of the picture. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. Doesn't sound very good, does it? <laughs> now, we could also, some have said that we are, in Revelation 18, we are economic Babylon. Uh, read 18. That doesn't sound very good at all either. What are we supposed to do? Listen to the Bible. Listen to what the Bible says. We're to invest our time and energy and money, not in trying to save ourselves, but reaching those who don't know the Lord. Listen to the Bible. Listen to the Bible. That's what Jesus says. Upcoming times, opportunity to carefully heed the words of the Bible. All right, let me see if I can pull this all together. Predictions come and go about the end of the world. I remember some, some people were saying years back, uh, we won't even make 1984. Remember that? Well, we're in 2011. What happened about that? Remember the silliness, the Y2K silliness that we went on? Whatever. We woke up January the 1st, 2000 and well go to work just went on remember uh, May of this year a whole bunch of sincere they were sincere people amen they're they're not crazies they're just sincere people they really believed Jesus was coming back in May was it May the 19th or 21st or whatever it was well here it's uh, if I remember this is uh, late October (laughs) everything looks all right with me Sincere people have been wrong. Just about the time we get the the date all set and we've got it all in a nice, neat package. You know what God does with our nice, neat packages? He blows them up. (laughs) So what are we to do? We're to use these times, even as things get more difficult, as an opportunity for witness. And, and... Listen to what the Bible says. Don't lean on your own understanding. Get the message of the Bible and begin to heed the words of the Word of God. Now, in ending, just one cautious note to you. Many times you'll find very charismatic people. They have this end times new, it's new picture of what's going to happen. And they take a verse from here, and take a verse from here, Mix it together with some 
biblical numerology and they come up with this neat little package. (laughs) Fooey. Don't listen to them. Do not listen to them. Look what it says here. Look what it says here. If you see them and they say, here it is, the time is near, don't have anything to do with them. When I say you need to listen to the Bible, what do I mean? You need to read the Bible in its historical context. What was the historical context of how it was written? In the grammatical form. What do the words say? How did it all fit together in that particular passage? And in the context of what that book and what that chapter is saying... If you see somebody with a new truth and they're picking verses from all over here and there and putting it together in this new truth, you know what you say? Hey, thanks so much. (laughs) Goodbye. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. You listen to the historical, grammatical, contextual way the Bible is taught. And we put our energy and time into reaching the lost. That's what Jesus tells his disciples as they face difficult times. And you know what? He's telling us the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we, we're just so thankful for the truth of God's word. But more than that, we so appreciate your love for us. May your ministry take forth take place in our lives as we yield ourselves to your word. In your name we pray, amen.